0: You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there.
1: It's always so good to see you guys. I know that most of us, the vast majority of us in here, we spend time with the Lord during the week. And that's special. Amen? Amen? But there's something very special about the day we get to gather together and spend time with the Lord together. With the family. With the brothers and sisters. So we're continuing through our series in Acts. We're, up, we're in chapter 16. We're up to verses 16 through 18. But as always... We're going to begin with a brief review. This would have been a week ago, I guess. We boarded a boat at Troas. We sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. The next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi. That's emboldened. It's important. A major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed there for several days. We reached Philippi. You can tell from the wording that Philippi, a major city in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, was their planned, keyword, their planned destination. Paul and his companions, following the plan of the Holy Spirit, focused on Philippi as their destination. The plan and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit and the plan, led them to Philippi. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. That plays into today's message, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Notice they had a plan to reach Philippi. Philippi was the destination, we said that. And they had a plan, once they were in Philippi, on how they were going to go about the mission. How they were going to go about reaching Philippi for Christ. Reaching Columbia for Christ, Mountville for Christ, Manor Township for Christ, York, Lancaster, Philadelphia for Christ. Do we have a plan to reaching these cities where people who don't know Christ gather and live? Do we have a plan for reaching them? That was the main point last week. They had a strategic and an intentional plan. They were strategic and intentional about it, and we said rather bluntly to ourselves, we're not. We're not really all that strategic and intentional about reaching people for Christ. You know the result. One of them was Lydia. One of the ladies that gathered at the river was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. She was wealthy, a um, businesswoman, entrepreneur, but she was a God-fearer. As she listened to us, Paul and his companions, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She then and her household were baptized, which implies they also accepted what the, gospel, the gospel message, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. She urged us, and we agreed. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. He had Lydia ready to receive the gospel message. Lydia and her household, which is more than just her her husband and her children, it's her whole network of relationships, became followers of Christ. As Paul and his companions followed the plan, very strategic, very intentional, the Lord went before them. This was last week's message, so I don't want to get into it too much, but would that imply that if we're not strategic and intentional, then we're on our own? The Lord's not out there preparing the way for us. It's for those who are strategic and intentional, sincere, serious, committed to being on a mission with him to reach lost souls. He's out there preparing the way for you, for me. He's opening people's hearts. Well, you know, I never really run, run into anybody whose heart's open to the Lord. Maybe that's the problem. Because we're living with a, well, if it happens, and if I happen to run into somebody. But what if we were strategic and intentional every morning? Lord, who is it? Where are you leading me? He's out there before us preparing the way, opening people's hearts for the message we're going to bring them. Honestly, and you know this, when there is an issue and things aren't effective or seemingly working right, it's never, ever, ever on the Lord. It's always on us. Not always intentional, but it's always on us. So as they followed the plan, strategic, intentional about reaching the lost, the Lord went before them. He sent his angels before them. He prepared the harvest. And by the way, that's what's going to happen here with the 100,000 lost souls the Lord has been talking to us about. If we become intentional, strategic, sincere, serious, committed about this, he's going to go before us and prepare the way and bring in the lost souls. It has to be that way because we can't do it. If we could, we would have. It has to be that way. That's the only place that there's hope that this could even happen, is to believe that he's going before us. When we're strategic and intentional about telling others of Jesus, good things happen. So we're going to pick up the story here. Lydia and her household, they had accepted the Lord, and now Paul and his companions were staying there, and that was their their base of operation. Today's message. Acts 16, 16 through 18. Stacy was my reader. She's incapacitated. Dan's going to come. She has a sleeping baby in her arms. So would you stand with us as Dan reads the word? Acts 16, 16 through 18. One day, we were going to the place of prayer. On the way, we were met by a female slave. She had a spirit that helped her tell people what was going to happen. She earned a lot of money for her owners by doing this. She followed Paul and the rest of us around. She shouted, these men serve the Most High. They are telling you how to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became upset. Turning around, he spoke to the spirit that was in her. In the name of Jesus Christ, he said, I command you to come out of her. At that very moment, the spirit left the woman. Thank you, Dan. You may be seated. Authority and deliverance. The title of today's message, you ready to learn something about authority and about deliverance and how the two relate? Here's today's outline. We're going to give the setting and the details of the passage that Dan read. Then we're going to do some general surface scratching teaching. We're not going to go very deep into this topic at all. And I, that's intentional. The Lord just wants to scratch the surface today We'll probably come back to it. No, I know we'll come back to it later because we're going to need to know this in the days ahead. But today is just very surface, general teaching on authority and deliverance. Then we'll close with some relative comments, relevant, relevant comments. So one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Verse 16 begins with, one day. It's emboldened. One day as we were going to the place of prayer. Remember the place of prayer from last week, from our our review? The place where they found Lydia and the other Jewish women? The place where Lydia got saved, followed by her household, then they were all baptized? That's the place we're talking about, down by the river. One day implies this is now more than just on the Sabbath. They went down there on the Sabbath looking for people who might be praying, Jews who might be praying. That place of prayer has now become the place where the church gathers on a regular basis. Verse 16 meet, continues with As they were on their way there, we met a slave girl. She had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future, a fortune teller, a psychic. And when you see the commercials on TV to call this number, a psychic number, don't do it. It's strictly forbidden in Scripture. You get your information from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, and from his angels. Not from demon-possessed fortune-tellers and psychics. So on this particular ordinary day, heading down to the place of prayer where the church now met, regularly, something out of the ordinary happened as they were on their way to have church. And how many times do things happen when you're on your way to get to church? I pray for myself and for you guys every Sunday that God will give us a straight path to church because Satan loves to throw obstacles in our path when we intend to get to church. So they were on their way to church and something out of the ordinary happened opposition to the gospel arose it came directly from the occult we're going to see in a moment that it was demonically inspired it came from a fortune teller a psychic who was operating in that area it was a girl who had been hired by some businessmen and had been used to gain them much money through her fortune telling practice She begins to harass Paul and his companions. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Shouting is in bold letters for a reason. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So here we have a fortune teller, the occult. We have a psychic following Paul and his companions around, yelling, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Kind of confusing, isn't it, at first read? That doesn't really seem that bad. Right, Steve? These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved? Well, that doesn't seem that bad. Is there a problem with this? Do you think there's a problem with this? Paul realized there's a huge problem with this. Would you like to know what it is? This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon, very important, within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly, it left her. Some comments. First of all, got to notice the demon within her. Paul recognized from the beginning this was demonic. We're very slow to recognize the demonic. In our culture, we're so educated. We explain everything away empirically and scientifically, and we don't have much room for for the demonic, and they love that. The demonic loves that we don't recognize the demonic. If you don't recognize it, you can't exercise authority over it. So it hides itself behind all kinds of good-looking things. It says Satan comes as a roaring lion. We've all felt that, seeking whom he may devour. But you know, it also says Satan comes masquerading as an angel of light and his demons as ministers of light. Very subtle, very deceptive, kind of like this. It says, Paul became so exasperated. That doesn't leave us with the correct thought there. Let me explain. This was not an emotional buildup. This was not an angry outburst. This wasn't Paul suddenly losing his cool at this girl who was bothering him. That's what exasperated would often mean to us. That's the picture we would get. Paul just got so frustrated. He's not frustrated at all. I want to show what actually is going on here. The word can and maybe is even better translated grieved. If you read your King James Version, it is translated grieved. Paul became so grieved. He became so troubled. He became so exceedingly burdened about this. Not angry, an emotional outburst, grieved, sorrowful, burdened, touched by this. The thought is the situation got to the point where it had to be dealt with. It happened day after day. The thought is continuously It came to the point where it's no longer acceptable. It had to be dealt with. There were two reasons it needed to be dealt with. The first reason, Paul was grieved. He was troubled. He was extremely burdened. He was sorrowful. He was touched over the condition of the girl. Paul was concerned for that girl, for the fortune teller. He was concerned for her sake. She was in bondage to this evil spirit. She was being exploited by these businessmen for their own selfish gain. His heart wasn't in anger and frustration. His heart was for her deliverance and her salvation. There is a second reason it had to be dealt with. It was no longer acceptable. It was hindering and it was impeding the kingdom work. And it was doing that in at least two ways. A very practical way. It was causing great disruption. The tense of the verb implies that she kept on. She continuously, she constantly was following them shouting. Remember I said shouting is in bold letters because it's important? Because shouting means an irrational screaming. Try and picture what's going on here. It's irrational. It's exactly what you would think of if you heard of the words, a demon-possessed person. She was out of her mind. Think about it. What kind of an affirmation of the gospel would that give, even if she was stating the truth? That's not what you would want when you're talking to someone or teaching someone about Christ. Imagine someone following you around, acting like a lunatic, continually shouting irrationally while you're sharing. That person screaming, yep, yep, he's telling the truth. You need to believe him. You need to follow him. And you know the reputation of the person that's doing this. How affirming is that to the message you're trying to get across? Her intention was not to affirm the truth. Her intention was to discredit the messengers. She was not affirming the truth that these men are servants of the Most High God and are here to tell you how to be saved. That was getting lost as the people saw who was doing it and how she was doing it. She wasn't affirming the message, she was discrediting the messengers. If they thought Paul and his companions were associated with her, they were immediately discredited because they knew she was from the occult, a fortune teller, a psychic. I see some heads nodding. Are you in agreement? Does that make sense? It's often been a hard to understand verse, hasn't it? So practically speaking, there was a problem. It's just causing a disruption. They can't share Christ. They can't teach about Christ with this lady always jumping in, this girl always jumping in and shouting these things and acting irrationally. There's another way it was impeding the gospel, and this was in a a spiritual way, a spiritual aspect. The first was simply disruption. And maybe you could have dealt with that just by having her arrested and hauled off. That wasn't Paul's heart, though. He didn't want to see her arrested and incarcerated. He wanted to see her delivered. The second, it was causing great confusion in the folks that Paul and his his companions were trying to share and teach. This girl was obviously known association with the occult. Now, the occult in those days, it was an association with the false Greek and Roman gods of the day. She prophesied, she ran her business, her fortune-telling business, she predicted the future in the name of Zeus and the name of Apollo and the Greek gods that those people worshipped in northern Macedonia. So this was leading the Gentiles that Paul was trying to reach to conclude, well, there must not be really any difference between our gods and this Christian god. Because this girl is a, is a servant of Zeus and Apollo, and she's affirming what they're saying. Why do we need the change to their God when we can just keep following our gods? So it was causing spiritual confusion. Practical disruption, spiritual confusion. Who do you really believe now? Who do we really follow? Most High God, Zeus, Apollo. Other Greek deities, what's the difference? No need to turn from our false deities to this true and living God. And Paul could not have this. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. There may have been confusion before this moment, but I guarantee you that after the deliverance, there was no more disruption or confusion they saw who the true God was. They saw who was most powerful. And it wasn't Apollo and it wasn't Zeus. And for us today, it's not Allah and it's not Buddha and it's not any of the Hindu gods. It's the Christian God. It's the true and living God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. No one like him, no one above him, no more, one more powerful than him. We sang about that in a couple of our songs today. The songs were well planned, Sonny. Thank you. After the deliverance, there was no more disruption and there was no more confusion about who the true God is. You can bet folks in that area now knew who the most powerful God was. It's the God of the Christians. He's the true and living God. And the letter to Philippians that you read in your New Testament is a letter that was sent to Philippi because a vibrant church was built out of all this experience. A vibrant New Testament church came out of all this. Let me just recap, because often we think, you know, Paul has a reputation. We saw how he responded to John Mark, right? No second chances. So he has this reputation. But here, Paul's reasoning for what he did was not just an emotional outburst. It was for her sake. She desperately needed rescued. She desperately needed deliverance from the enemy. And it was for the kingdom's sake. The kingdom work needed to be authenticated, credited, not discredited, by a demon-possessed fortune-teller. Is that passage a little more clear now, maybe, than before you came in today? Yes. Now, here's what I believe God wants to lead us into. And I ask him why. It's not the most pleasant topic to speak about. We always say that the number one topic that gets attacked by the enemy when you're preaching on it is prayer. Amen, Dan? And he'll also attack messages that deal with evangelism. But this is also on the short list. When you start talking about the authority of Christ, the authority of the believer in Christ, if you were the enemy, would you want God's people to begin to understand that? Paul used the authority that Christ gives believers to set this girl free and to authenticate the kingdom work. That's the details of the setting of the story. We want to move into now some teaching on authority and deliverance. So just a little disclaimer. This topic, authority and deliverance, is extensive in Scripture. Volumes. It consists of many and varied aspects. So I just need to keep it not only just for time's sake, but for our own ability to comprehend sake we need to keep this confined to this passage what we can learn from this passage about authority and deliverance only what we're drawing from this passage although i'm going to use other passages to build up to it so you ready when you're talking about authority and deliverance you got to begin with luke 19:10 basic teaching this is very basic very elementary But it has to lay the foundation for what we'll learn in later days. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. To actually understand authority and deliverance, we need first and foremost to know the reason why Jesus even came. You know, of course, unbelievers don't know, but it's appalling that the number of people who profess belief in Christ and are involved in churches... They also don't know why Jesus came. It's kind of like how we no longer know what Easter is all about. The reason why Jesus came to earth was to save lost souls. Pure and simple, bottom line, foundational teaching. He came. Why did he have to come to save lost souls? He came to reclaim that which Satan had stolen. That Satan had taken captive through sin in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, to restore lost humanity to God. That's why he came. Luke 4.18 supports this truth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus speaking. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. The reason Jesus came to earth was to set the captives free. What do you mean, captives? Well, in case you didn't know, the human race is in bondage to Satan because of sin back in the garden in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve. If Jesus didn't come, we'd still be in bondage and sin, to Satan and sin. There'd be no freedom. There'd be no deliverance. There'd be no salvation. He came to set the captives free. He came to set the oppressed free. Those who are in bondage. Scripture refers to them as lost. 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Are you following? This is going to build on itself very foundational, very basic, but it's going to build on itself. He came to seek and to save lost souls. Part of that, a major primary part of that, he came to destroy the works, or it could be singular, the work of the devil. So in order to deliver lost souls from bondage to sin and Satan, Jesus needed to destroy the works of Satan, who was holding them in bondage. Are you with me? For instance our fortune teller, our psychic girl in Acts 16. She was in bondage to sin and Satan, and she needed to be set free. And Paul couldn't set her free, and you and I couldn't set her free, but in the name of Jesus, Jesus could set her free from that. And make no mistake about it, nothing has changed since then. We have people running around all over, especially in these days in our culture, that are under demonic oppression, and they need to be set free. We just call it by many other names these days. But they need to be set free, and Jesus came to set us free. That's why I came. It was for freedom that Christ died to set us free. Free from the devil who has been holding us captive. So in order to destroy the works of the devil, this is in order to seek and to save that which was lost, To free them, he had to destroy the works of the devil who was holding them in bondage. And in order to destroy the works of the devil, Jesus, as a man, had to regain the authority that was lost in the garden. You're following it, aren't you? The authority that man gave away to Satan. When God created man, he gave him authority. Man could do whatever he wanted with this earth. And man decided to rebel against God's sin and gave the authority over to Satan. Something very important. People mistake this. God never lost any authority to Satan at all, ever. Man gave his authority that God gave him to Satan. Satan has never had authority over God. I've told you this before, it might fit again. Back in our early days, we were meeting in the school. A guy came in, biker guy, all tatted up and sitting in the back. And I mentioned Satan, and he yelled out, yeah, I know Satan. He's God's evil twin brother. The misconceptions that people have, that kind of equates Satan with God. No way. God is the most powerful. He is the most high. Satan is a created being. God created Satan with a word, and he can take him out with a word. And actually, we can't take him out, but our authority is in a word. It's in a name, Jesus. Since man gave his authority away to Satan, only a man could regain that authority. God himself could not regain it for man. It had to be a man, it had to be a human. That's why God came in the form of a human. We celebrate Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus did that. Jesus, the Son of God, who is fully God, came in a fleshly body to regain authority for man over the enemy. Still with me? Matthew 28, 18 and 19, you're familiar with it in this church at least. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority. In heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Already, Jesus is assuring them that he now has the authority over mankind and over earth, not Satan, and he connects it immediately to the mission go and make disciples. Go and tell people about Jesus. Jesus defeated the devil at the cross, he now has all the authority. We're keeping it very simple. We're keeping it very elementary. Man gave away his authority to Satan through sin in the garden. Consequently, mankind, the human race, came under under bondage to Satan. Satan had the authority. Jesus broke that bondage. Jesus regained the authority. Jesus now has the authority. Thank you. If there wasn't an amen there, I'm packing it up. Now, this next slide will help us understand what's happening in our passage today with Paul. Jesus came to them and told them he has all authority, and now what he says, look, I have given you authority. There's where it breaks down. Every one of us in here would say, amen, Jesus has all the authority. You have that authority. Well, pastor, you know, I don't really know about that. You have that authority if you know Christ, if you've put your trust in him, if you're following him, you have that authority. One of Satan's greatest weapons is deception to deceive us out of thinking we have that authority. Look, Jesus speaking, if you have a beef, it's not with me. You got to take it up with the Lord. He's the one who said this. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's true, it's just not being exercised. And our culture is suffering because of it. Fortune tellers and psychics are suffering. They're not being delivered because of it. Addicted drug addicts, addicted addictions, and all kinds of sexual sin and confusion out there, that's all a result of the church not understanding and not exercising our authority to set people free. Once Jesus had regained the authority, the the, the authority lost, he imparted it. He delegated that same authority to his followers, to believers, not to mankind in general. Mankind, apart from Christ, is still under the authority of the devil. That's why the world is the way it is today. He imparted it to his followers. He imparted it to believers Those who have given their lives to him and put their trust in him and are living for him. Believers now have received regained authority that was lost in the garden over the devil and his demons. Know this. Put down your distracting thoughts and know this. The devil and his demons have no power over true believers. He just makes us think he does. And we buy into it. First John 4.4 4, But you, beloved, you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit that is in you, Christian is greater than Satan and all his demons combined. It's the Spirit of God. And in case you don't know this, I'll throw this in for free. The fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwells in you if you know Christ. Come on, pastor. You've got to be kidding me. You can choose to believe what you see with your own eyes, or you can choose to believe Scripture and begin to walk in it. The Spirit who lives in you, the Spirit of God, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they're one. I could go into that. There's many Scriptures. Just please believe me or look it up yourselves. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you if you know Christ. And he's greater than the Spirit and all of his demons who lives in this world. Just some further support. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Authority is always connected to mission. We are on mission with Christ. And when that's true, we have nothing to fear from the devil or his demons. Jesus regained the authority over the enemy on our behalf. That's what enabled Paul to do what he did in our passage today, exercise the authority of Christ. Not his own authority, but exercise the authority of Christ over the demonic figure that was tormenting this poor girl. So many other verses that affirm this truth, the believer's authority in Christ. We, we could be here all day. So I just want to close with some, some concluding thoughts. Again, we had to keep this very surface today. The authority of the believer is a very complex, many-faceted topic. We have so much to learn I just want to draw a couple of conclusions from what we said today. And here's the first one. I already said that authority is connected to mission. Hopefully that's a given in here. But some concluding thoughts on authority and deliverance from this passage. These two dynamics, authority and deliverance, they often operate together. Get this next one, please. The purpose of having authority is for Deliverance. Why did Jesus come and take back the authority that Satan had gained over the human race? To deliver the human race. To rescue the human race. The purpose of authority is not for us to puff out our chest and walk around speaking Jesus' name and casting out demons. You know what? You're going to get jumped on like the sons of Sceva in Acts. No, the authority of Christ has been given us that when it's needed, we can affect deliverance of those who are in bondage. The purpose of authority is deliverance. It always operates on the behalf of others. I mean, not that we can't take authority for ourselves, but the purpose is we're operating on behalf of others to bring about their deliverance to set the captive free. The reason believers even have been given authority is for the sake of others. It's to be used by by God to set others free as we have been set free. It is not for selfish reasons. It's not for selfish ambition or agenda. There are multitudes of lost souls waiting for the church to come into Christ's given authority and set them free. A hundred thousand in our area. A billion, perhaps, across the globe. As the church rises up into these truths. I want to say that again. There are a multitude of lost souls waiting for the church. Yeah, there's a lot out there that unfortunately won't come, and they'll ridicule. But within those crowds, there's a multitude of people who will come, and that's who we're sent to. And God will go before us and prepare the way, and prepare their hearts, and lead us to them. Then they need to hear this truth, and they'll be delivered, and they'll be set free like you have been. Then as they begin to live and walk in these truths, they will be used to set other people free. It's the purpose of God. It's the pyramid purpose of God that began with Jesus. (laughs) I was wondering if anybody actually was thinking about what I'm saying. Remember, it was for freedom that Christ died to set us free, that we might be free. Then he imparts that authority to us to set others free, like this girl in Acts 16 who became a vital part of the Philippian church, from fortune-teller, psychic, abused and used by these businessmen, to a vital part of a New Testament vibrant church. That's what it's all about. Last, concluding, last slide with concluding thoughts. We do not look for demonic confrontation. Did you hear that? We don't go out looking for demonic confrontation. I would be more than willing, Lord, to live the rest of my life without any demonic confrontation. Oh, but I desperately want to set souls free, and if that's what it takes. But we don't go out looking for it just so we can exercise our authority. But, however, if demonic confrontation comes to us, and as we move out on mission with Christ, it's gonna. You think he's going to set back and let 100,000 souls be taken from his kingdom and translated into the kingdom of Christ without a fight? So we're not going to go out looking for it. But when it confronts us, we have power over it. In Jesus' name. We exercise Christ's authority. Remember, greater is he who is in us than he who confronts us in the world. Would you stand with me? Call the band up. Give us a minute to get settled, Steve, but you're going to come to the mic and lead us in prayer. Once we're all settled, and Steve prays, would you you remain standing then for worship? Father, you are the true and
0: living God. You are the one who provides for all of our needs. You are the one who overcomes sin. Father, the enemy has taken this nation, this world, our communities, our brothers and sisters, our sons and our daughters, our grandsons and our granddaughters away from us. But Father, you have given us authority over the enemy yes, to take back our children, yes, Lord. To, ba- to take back our brothers and sisters, and to take back our families, and to take back our nation and our communities, mm-hmm. and this earth that you created for us. The enemy has no power over you, which means he has no power over us unless we allow him that power. Father, we have people in this room today who are suffering, who have family members who are dealing with drug addiction, apathy, fear, all kinds of things, all kinds of attacks, all kinds of demons that the enemy has brought upon us, that sin has brought upon us. But we have the authority given to you, us, through your son, Jesus Christ, to extricate ourselves from those demons. So, Father, I pray that we all accept that authority, accept that responsibility that comes with that authority to remove these things from our lives to remove these things from our communities, from our children and our grandchildren, our brothers and our sisters, our moms and dads, to remove these things from our nation and from this world. We have that authority, Father, and I pray that you will give us the strength and the boldness to go out and every chance and every opportunity that we have to remove those demons from us and to exercise that authority. Not to go out and search for the demons because we don't want to have to deal with them. But when we do have to deal with them, I pray that we will be alert and aware and capable of removing those demons from our lives and from our loved ones. You are the true and mighty living God. And we thank you for how you have equipped us and prepared us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.